Hi guys, welcome to Common Ground. This is Lexi Hamill. I am joined with my fellow co-host, Danny. Danny, say hi. Hi guys. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the Freedom to Vote Act, the John Lewis Advancement Act, and um, House Bill HR1. But more specifically, we're going to dive into federalizing elections, because if not, we could honestly talk for hours. And I'm sure you guys do not want to hear all the nitty gritty bits about um, politics and legislation. Um, So we're going to introduce what federalizing elections means. Just to give a little bit of a background, states do have the power of controlling how their elections work. And it has been proposed for the federal government to take over elections. It has been proposed more from the Democratic side and um, Republicans strongly oppose this legislation. So just recently on January 19th in a 52 to 48 vote, the Senate voted against uh, voting rights legislation. And again, we, we are mainly bringing this up just to bring awareness to voting rights in federalizing elections because we do predict that in the future, Congress will continue to pass some aspects of um, these voting rights bills. Federalizing elections has still been something that uh, many people are passionate about. I will give the point of view that elections should not be federalized, while Danny will give the point of view why they should be federalized. Yep, exactly. And just to cover our ground a little bit more, this is a very complicated issue. Um, We're going to try to give you the basics. But if you want to do more research about that, uh, I would really recommend looking into law journals. They have a lot of basically other Supreme Court cases that have affected voting rights, Um, looking into different articles that have been introduced into the Constitution to basically give people more freedom to vote, such as Article 15. Uh, You can't discriminate based off of race when it comes to voting. So there's a lot of issues that go into this, guys, but we're going to try to just give the basic right, overview. Right, right. Yeah, there is there is a lot. And again, as this podcast is meant for, we are going to find common ground. And this isn't just a black and white issue because there is so much that goes into it. And there's so much that goes into these bills as well. And that's why we're just mainly hitting on the point of federalizing elections. Yes. The reason why there's an argument between federalizing elections and having states control them is really because within the past two cycles of the presidential election, there's been a lot of issues with trust in our government and then people thinking that there is voter fraud, right? So the whole point of turning the power of having states controlling the elections to the federal government or vice versa, keeping it within the state, is really just to make sure the American people feel more secure with how our elections are ran. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I would even add to the point that I think distrust in elections really have started since 2000 when Bush won in 2000 because Bush was known to be not the, quote, legitimate president. And then I think in 2008 and 2012, it was probably I mean, I don't I don't recall anything about that. The election wasn't fair after Barack Obama had won. But 2016, I mean, Democrats were saying that Donald Trump wasn't a legitimate president. And then 2020, notoriously, Donald Trump still hasn't conceded to the election. So, yeah, we definitely have gotten a lot more divided. And I could see the point of how um, federalizing elections would just allow voters to um, comprehend that. Okay, well, it's not taken state by state if this was all if this was the decision on the national level, then we kind of agree with it and accept it. But unfortunately we live in such a divided climate where I don't, I don't think that that's truthfully the case. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the basis of the argument is, one, being able to control different voter certification uh, requirements within each state. So right now, depending on the state, you have to meet different requirements in order to vote. Uh, also, in order to receive your ballot in the mail, right? So you can vote from home, vote in the mail. They're different per state. So there's 16 states in the U.S. that basically say you have to have a legitimate excuse in order to send in your ballot by mail, right? For example, um, just I have a table pulled in front of me of some of the states, Alabama, Arkansas, Connecticut. Some of the requirements are you're out of jurisdiction, so you're not within the area that you can go and vote in person. Physical illness, disability, that's a huge one, especially with the pandemic within the last year, and other excuses. Now, the argument here is that why do we have states that don't require mail-in voting requirements, right, such as having an excuse, and then these 16 states on the list who have implemented their own rules and regulations to getting a vote in? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a very valid question. And quick question, are you are you registered to vote in California or in Utah? Actually in Utah. I've okay. lived here for so long. Okay. That's I, I just was thinking because um you brought up mail in uh voting and also I'm registered to vote in Utah and that's all I've ever done is mail in is mail in voting. Just because Utah is one of the few states that allows it. Um so it's just super interesting because like Republicans tend not to favor mail-in voting, but in Utah, that's that's all that we know. And I do think that you brought up a really good point about these 16 states, but to add on, for instance, there's been new laws passed in Georgia and Texas, and a lot of these voters in Georgia and Texas have been calling for uh, more voter requirements and not necessarily making it more difficult to vote, but just making it more secure. Um, and you, you brought up Connecticut. Connecticut is one of the states, but also Delaware, the home state of President Biden. It's harder to vote in Delaware than it is to vote in Texas or Georgia. And I just think that that's super interesting because the Democrats have been calling for um, making this process easier to vote. But Georgia um, allows 17 days of early voting. And in the last 2020 election, there was no early voting in Delaware. And I do think Connecticut and New York were also, I know New York for sure, Connecticut and maybe Maryland. I'd have to double check on those states, but I'm sure it's for the same kind of graph that you were looking at. Yeah, no, totally. For me, it's less, I don't know. I don't feel very partisan about this issue. For me, I want every single American to be able to vote as easily as possible without so many restrictions. When you say secure, what does that look like for you what does that look like in these states, particularly if you don't believe that it's truly secure, vice versa? Because the whole point of Texas and Georgia implementing these new laws is because a lot of people are claiming voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud. We need to make our elections secure. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a great question because, again, for me, all I've ever done is vote by mail. And I've never had an issue with it. But I guess looking back at the 2020 election, I mean, it was an unprecedented election year where citizens were granted the right to vote by mail because of the pandemic. Um, and again, I, I'm i not going to contribute to the 2020 election fraud claims because I personally don't think that there is enough evidence. I think that there's maybe a couple things like stopping the count in the middle of the night that was like, okay, that's a little bit weird. But again, it's been proven time after time again that there was not a significant amount of voter fraud. Um, going on. But securing elections to me, I think uh, tightening regulations with voter ID is super, super important. Um, voter ID is one of the things that 
I, I don't, I, I genuinely, and you can answer my question on this, but I, I don't see how that's a partisan issue. You, you, anywhere you go, if you want to go on a flight, you have to show proof of identification. So I don't see how voting is any different. Voting should be as secure as possible because we want to make sure that whoever we're electing is our legitimate president. The last thing we'd want is to have an election. And I know we're not anywhere near this, but like third world countries, presidents, like, um, just using all of their power and creating all this corruption. And again, the United States isn't anywhere near that. But I think just providing that extra sense of security is so important. Yeah, no, I get your point. So the whole basis of election fraud usually occurs in authoritarian regimes Mm -hmm. when the incumbent president is trying to retain power of the election so they point at the other party and they're like look they're having illegal immigrants come in and vote they're having all these people still you know ballots that's a common common narrative that you see within these regimes which is something that we're super scared in america because we're a country that is founded on you know not wanting to be based on tyranny that's something that we really want to avoid for me the voter id is not an issue i think yeah, you should be able to provide an identification card saying, this is me, I'm here registering to vote. Because I think even my sister went through fraud one of these years. I think someone in 2016 sent in a ballot for her um, without, I, I, I'm not I'm not particularly sure about this circumstance. What I know is, is that it might not have been a ballot, it might have been in-person voting. Either way, her vote was stolen from her. someone voted for the opposite party that she didn't want to vote for maybe it was a mistake at the booth maybe she pushed the wrong button either way just having an extra sense of security when it comes to identification i'm totally okay for Mm -hmm. what i have issue with is having states implement further restrictions such as oh if you're a felony you have to pay fees in order to get your vote in um if you, for example, I know there was a lot of issues with being able to cast your ballot in certain cities because there wasn't good postal service. I think there was like a statistic that said before the 2020 election, mail-in voting wasn't an issue and mail in general was really effective during this time. 90% of mail was being delivered everywhere within the U.S. And then during the election, it was 30%. Right. So people were really struggling to get their ballots in. You know, there's so many things that are outside of just states controlling it that play into it. And that's what my worry is. So, one, we have these 16 states that are so different in the requirements of being able to vote by mail, even like early voting. That's an issue. So just having all these different guidelines and rules between the states I think that's the real question as to why we should federalize elections and have a complete standard across the nation as to how we can vote. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, honestly, I mean, you and I had mentioned this um, before this podcast. I do think that if we had done this 50 or 60 years ago where we created that precedent, then maybe it would be easier. But I, I just can't overlook the fact that here we are in Southern Utah. Southern Utah is so much more different than New York City. So I think just creating the same standard nationwide would be a lot more difficult. In an ideal world, I'm sure it's, I mean, it sounds great. It does. It's having the same standard, but I just, I don't see, I mean, and I think that's the beauty of our nation as it is. I mean, our founding fathers, they wanted the states to have control over virtually everything. Um, And it's because they recognize that People are different. States are different. So it's so hard to have that federalized control over 
anything, especially voting. Yeah, I don't know what it would exactly look like if it was implemented on a federal level. For example, H.R. 1 kind of goes over guidelines. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I did not read the whole bill. That thing is <laughs> it's long. stinking long, <laughs> right? But the whole point of it is to have basic guidelines that are the same in every single state so we have less disenfranchisement. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we have different geographics, different demographics, populations, right? I don't think that's such a big factor as to why we can't implement the same standard within, you know, each state, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's more of, like, questions of should we have more polling booths, should we have more locations in which we vote, and I think that has to do with, like, population standards and whatnot. Um, I don't really see the argument as to, oh, nationally, we're so different state by state. We can't have the same rule. Mm-hmm. And I know, I mean, this is like kind of off topic, but it'll wrap around. But I mean, you look at COVID, each state was different. Each state had their own different cases. And it was shown that states who handled it by themselves did better than having national regulations put into place. And I think that's the same thing here with voting rights is um, l- let the states dictate what they're going to do versus having a whole national standard. And again, in an ideal world, um, the government would have been able to take care of COVID and the government would be able to prevent all of um, the all of these issues that have come up with uh, how elections are, are run. But my my biggest point here is I don't think that federalizing elections would be an effective way to solve these issues. And um a big, a big point that I'll make is the distrust in the government. If we had a strong sense of unity and trust within our government, it would be great, absolutely. But because the rate continues to, to decrease, it's been decreasing since Watergate pretty much, um, it's, it's tough. And, um, and I had mentioned this to you prior, it's the Americans, it's, it's funny because Americans tend to view Congress so poorly but they look at their own representative or senator and they have such a, a positive approval rating of them. And that's why they continue to reelect them. So I think that's the same thing with elections here is if people are satisfied with how their elections are run in their state, they will probably be less satisfied with how it's run um, within the government. And my whole point is like everything that the government touches, it just like starts to crumble. And a, a big thing too, and I'll make this point with COVID again is during the 2020 uh, year election, it was obviously an unprecedented year with the pandemic. And 51% of independents were saying we need more government control. And I think that's a big reason why Donald Trump lost is because he wasn't doing as much uh, federally as what states were doing because he kind of said, well, I'll allow the states to have control. But then in 2021, I'd have to look up the exact number, but the independence approval rating of government went down to like 29%. So I think that just shows that when people want more government intervention, they quickly regret it. And I think that's a big thing with voting rights too, is we we don't know how the standard would be across the board. So just a quick question to follow up on that. So you said independence had a 51% approval rating of having a strong centralized government, mm-hmm. right? But then you said that Trump was in office and he didn't have a strong hand in government, which is then why independence approval of strong centralized government went down. Because Mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't just implemented correctly. Maybe 
Trump didn't, you know, this is kind of this or there. But maybe Trump wasn't, you know, the centralized factor that could have improved approval ratings for a strong federalized government. Right. right. But it, within 2021, so a whole year later, when Joe Biden was in office and mm-hmm. Joe Biden was implementing these more national regulations, that that's when the approval rating decrease they're like just kidding we do not want more government intervention and so I think that's a huge thing here too is like we we genuinely do not know I mean how do you go from states having control to government control and they're like oh just kidding that's not working out back to states control right I think there's a fine balance right and Mm -hmm. I think whenever people have issues regardless if it's state controlled or federally controlled they're going to blame whoever is in control at that point right which is probably why approval ratings go up go down you know, it's just so multifactorial. I don't think we can just point at, look, oh, we had a strong centralized government during this time period during 2021. And then look at the approval rating. I think there's so many other factors that play into that. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think like the correlation between the two really defines the causation, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But for me, just to go away from the COVID and back to the voting rights, the reason why I think federally implementing some guidelines would help is because we do see states and we do see counties that do use gerrymandering to benefit a specific party and i'm not saying that for republicans or democrats because we've seen instances in both there was instances in for example north carolina of a republican party gerrymandering their area so it'd benefit them and then it was the same thing i think in maryland where they had a democrat party basically gerrymander that area in order to benefit the party that was already in its incumbency, right? So I think just having stronger centralized rules of how elections should be run could be, you know, something that could fix this. Again, in HR1, this was something that they brought up. They wanted independent parties or independent commissions basically saying this is how uh, your county areas or state areas should be divided, right? And we saw that recently within the Utah, I think the Utah elections this past year. We had the, uh, I don't remember who it was, but basically the party that was in charge of allocating what states voted in which area. Um, Utah, right? And they had an independent commission already draw them a guideline of what that would look like, but the state superseded that and implemented one that was really favoring Republicans. And I think that's where a big issue is. So for me, it's one, states disenfranchising voters, not giving them access to the polls, not giving them access to voting, such as we see with felons, not just having different rules for each state. I think for like, for example, Alabama voter registration rules. Uh, You must be a citizen of the U.S. That's across the board, okay? Be a resident of Alabama, be 18 years old um, before the election, not convicted of a disqualifying disqualifying felony and not be declared mentally incompetent by a mental hearing whatever that means that's crazy Mm -hmm. swear or affirm to support the constitution of the u.s that's alabama's alaska's voter registration rules be a citizen of the u.s be 18 years or older uh, be a resident of alaska not convicted of a felon and not be registered to vote in another state you just see how it's just so different i just think it's so weird to have different guidelines that dictate who and who cannot vote within each state when There should be rules federally saying, no, these type of people have the right to vote, such as Article 15, where you can't discriminate based off of race, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's a federally implemented rule. Right. Yeah, no, and I think that's also important to note is that, yes, for the, since the Constitution was ratified, 
states have had control over elections, but the federal government does have the ability to uh, put in some regulations or implement new things like um, the 15th Amendment, 19th Amendment, and the 24th and 26th Amendment. And that was changes across the board, because I can't imagine if it was in California, women were granted the right to vote. But here in Utah, we still weren't granted the right to vote. I mean, that that just simply wouldn't be fair. I just don't think these issues that are presented by the government are that necessary to change across the board. There are some things, and um, this is a part of uh, the voting rights legislation, for instance, making Election Day a federal holiday. I'm totally in favor of that. There's over 2 million federal employees, so why should they have to go into work or work a couple different jobs and not be able to get um, to the polls? I, I absolutely think that it should be a federal holiday. If we make Juneteenth a federal holiday, then we should have Election Day as a federal holiday. Um, my mom's a government employee. She's never once had election day off. So I'm, I'm totally in favor of that. Um, I would assume that you yeah. also believe that as well. Yeah, I, I do. Because I think a lot of people have issue getting to the polls because they're working or even just sending in their ballot because they're working. We're, you know, we work a lot in America. And I think having a holiday where it's like you have this whole day to get into the polls and vote would be super beneficial, right? Because we see in some states, I don't remember which one, so I'm not going to call in any examples, but some areas where the poll booths are just backed up, lines upon lines upon lines with minimal poll workers, and it's just a mess, right? Having a day where we could be like, oh, this is the day where you can vote. This is the day where you can participate in democracy. I think that's totally fine. Yeah, no, absolutely, too. And I mean, another thing, too, I mean, like students, they wouldn't have to go to school if it's a federal holiday and government workers. I mean, there are some like city employees. I mean, my dad, he's he works for the city of St. George. Obviously, he wouldn't have Election Day off. Um, But what you kind of brought up about polls is I think um, it's important to know. I mean, yeah, we looked at the 2020 election. It was such an unprecedented year with covid Um, lines were out the door, which is awesome because we had um, a major voting turnout rate, which was fantastic. And um, especially with like two semi-unfavorable candidates, I think that's awesome that people were getting out to the polls. But I do think that states, and I'm I'm just going to use a couple as as an example, let's say Utah and California. I guess if you were to look at polls in Utah and California and be like, okay, you know what? We had lines throughout the door. People were waiting hours to vote. I feel like that should be up to the states to be like, well, this is what we should adjust for the midterms or this is what we should adjust for the ne- the next general election is if voters were complaining about how the polls were ran in their own states, then they should complain to their state government and be like, all right, this is what we need to fix. And then legislators would be able to implement that more easier than the federal government would because people back in D.C. aren't going to look and be like, all right, those lines in St. George, Utah, they were people were waiting for hours. They're going to look at it across the board. Whereas, okay, our state and local leaders here would be like, all right, this is what we need to change for the next election. Right. My only argument to that is we're putting a lot of faith in our state and local leaders, right? What if those polls being outlandishly long and gerrymandering those areas are benefiting the people who are running for those positions? You know what I'm saying? So sometimes... I feel like the federal government has to supersede the state government because they're not holding fair elections because that's the whole that's what voter disenfranchisement looks like not being able to vote having to wait in outrageously long poll lines where it's three to four hours long when you have you know kids at home that are waiting for you you have responsibilities 
et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the whole reason why H.R. 1 or the Freedom to Vote Act was introduced into legislation and they were like, hey, we're having problems across the board. We're not just seeing it in red states, but we're seeing it in red states and blue states where we have voter disenfranchisement, where people cannot vote because there's just... It's, like, almost impossible. They make it so hard. They don't make it easily accessible. Like, we shouldn't have to stand in three to four hours um, worth of lines. Poll workers shouldn't have to put themselves at risk helping these people vote and et cetera, right? That's the whole point of mail-in ballots, whole issues. So I think that's why there's been in question if we should introduce federal legislation that supersedes states because people are seeing that, what the heck, I can't vote because these lines are crazy long et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, honestly, the the prior to making the change of jumping to federalizing elections as a whole, what people should do is hold their state and local leaders accountable. If they are, if, if the last three elections, if I've waited in a three-hour line to vote, chances are I wouldn't do that again. So I think the next thing would be like, well, you know what? I've had this representative here in Utah for the last three election cycles. He's not listening to his constituents, so I'm going to vote him out of office, he or she. Um, I just I think that's that's the first step before jumping to um, federalizing elections as a whole. Right. Well, just just to go back to my first point, what if you can't vote? What do you mean? So you're saying you would vote him out, but the whole question is that a lot of people are disenfranchised to where they can't vote their local leaders out because the lines are too long. Mm-hmm. That's my whole point. Like sometimes I agree. Like. We could look to the state level and be like, hey, help us out. We need to get some change representation here. But what if you literally cannot because, one, the state is in control of the voter requirements, the time, the place, the manner of how you vote, and it makes it insanely difficult for you to go in and cast your ballot or cast your vote to be like, we need a change in representation. And I think that's what's the issue here is that people are like, I'm tired of not being able to go in my state and vote correctly. I'm tired of waiting in three-hour lines. I'm tired of, you know, endangering myself by going out to the polls. I'm tired of not being able to mail my ballot in, right? Because those are state-controlled things. Mm-hmm. I think that's why HR1 is like, we are, we need a federal option, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not saying it's across the board. Right. Everything should be, like, legitimized through the federal government, mm-hmm. right? There, There's some leeway. For example... I think there was, okay, so there is an issue basically going on about this act called, okay, National Voter Registration Act versus Arizona Documentary Proof of Citizenship Requirement. Okay, these are two bills that are really, really, really similar. One is at the state level, one is at the federal level. The issue here was that the Supreme Court was like, hey, the federal government is superseding Arizona's right to basically have their citizens, um, prove their eligibility eligibility by proving their citizens right this was like whole uh, voter id issue okay the issue was once you have these multiple levels of trying to prove if you're eligible to vote because you're a citizen it it interferes with future elections so what we found in this one uh, this is by the yale law journal review if anyone's interested but what we found in this one was basically that because the federal government had an overlayer requirement of voter identification within National Voter Registration Act, the Arizona Act actually caused problems in being able to vote locally, register to vote locally, register to vote state, and register to vote federally, because those are three different things. And I think that's what the issue is here. It's a complicated issue. There's so many gray matter, 
Like, mm-hmm. I see your points and everything. Um, I just think that there's issues. Right. No, no, there there definitely are a lot of issues. And again, as we, we mentioned before, this isn't a black and white issue. And I that's why I do believe that Democrats will try and pass aspects of the bill because passing as a whole isn't it, I mean, it, it clearly didn't pass. And um, I don't think if they propose that any time in the near future it would pass again. So I do think that um, aspects like that are are interesting. And just to wrap things up, um, Danny, one thing I think that you and I could find common ground on with this issue is there has been proposals of um, allowing District of Columbia to have representation. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so the whole issue with the District of Columbia is that they're not being represented, right? This is a huge population where literally Washington, D.C. could be a state in its own. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are even arguing like, hey, this is the freaking capital of the United States. Why isn't this a place where we can get adequate representation through having states, right? Because they don't have representatives that can basically go and advocate for them on the state level federal level because they don't it's not it's not an organized state right so a lot of the issue here is one republicans don't want this to be a state because dc is dominantly yes they went 95 percent democratic yeah democratic yeah they went 95 percent biden in the last election so it's it's a fear for republicans and i can advocate for that for sure yeah Um, But I don't think that gives anyone the excuse to be like, oh, because they're not voting for me because they're not within my constituent group, like we should not allow them to form a state. We should not allow them to have adequate representation, you know, because that affects people's lives. You know, when you don't have people advocating for what you need, the resources that you need, the health care that you need or the taxation that you need, whatever it is that D.C. voters want, you know, how are you going to get anything done? How is there actually going to be like thorough change within your area yeah no and i mean uh, something else to point out is dc has they pay the most in taxes out of every single state in the united states Mm -hmm. um i mean it it is super super interesting and i also would point out that dc is one of the most confusing places in the world because you look and you're like it's not a state but they have a super high population a higher population than wyoming and vermont and they still don't have representation so i mean i mean they do have a, a delegate that cannot be on the house floor during proceedings i think but they do have one delegate that kind of um gives them some sort of representation but Again, it, it is one of those touchy issues, and I mean, and I, I can say this here, and I think both of us could advocate as political science majors, you know, we, we've we learned since growing up and throughout college, well, okay, there's 435 representatives and 100 senators. The numbers could change, which, it's, I mean, that's changed throughout history, but the last time a repre- the representative numbers have changed was 1929 and 1959 for senators. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I almost think that the United States just doesn't do very well with change, and maybe they just don't want to do do away with the change. And obviously, it's a lot more complicated than what we're, we're just touching the surface with. But again, I mean, it's that's a very, a very tough issue because there are hundreds of thousands of people in the District of Columbia who are not getting represented. Um, And again, like, ideally, as a member of the Republican Party, yeah, I don't want to see Washington, D.C. get, um, you know, have have more votes in the general election. I mean, you'd have to go through and change just about everything um, for the for the election process. But 
Again, I, I plan to move to D.C. in the future. Danny also has a political career that she wants to end up somewhere internationally or potentially be back in D.C. So, yeah, when we're back there, we want to have some kind of representation. And I think that's super important to note because, again, here in southern Utah, we're not thinking about people elsewhere. We know that we have the representation and the resources that we need, but we're not thinking of those who don't have those same resources. Which is crazy to me because you don't realize if a state passes some, something, especially if it's a nearby state, it's probably going to hit your state too. Mm-hmm. We've seen that uh, the most, the biggest example I can think of is like abortion, right? We saw it pass in, I think it was like Senate Bill 18 or I don't remember what it was but the big controversial abortion bill in Texas Mm -hmm. it started spreading to other red states that were nearby and so yeah people's vote in other places matter yeah no that's I think that's the biggest takeaway and just to reiterate um our common ground Danny and I we we agree with the District of Columbia getting representation um and we also agree that we should have a federal election right day holiday right (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah no i i think i think that's a big thing and again if we if we see aspects of that bill being proposed i mean i would support them and i think that other people should really look into it and um agree and again for those listening we just touched the surface of voting rights there is so much within these these bills um and we just hit on federalizing elections and a couple other key points but Really, I mean, it's something that um, is becoming more of a controversial issue. So um, whichever side you're on, we encourage you to dig in and learn more and find more research and more data out there. Yep, totally agree. Okay, so we will plan on releasing another podcast in the next two weeks, and it will we will be discussing the death penalty. So be sure to listen to that. It'll be a very interesting topic, and... Um, not just a political topic, but uh, definitely a moral one as well. So it'll be interesting. Thanks, guys, for listening.